0: Welcome back to the View Podcast. We are kicking off Season 3 today with our guest, Francesco Clark. Francesco became paralyzed as a result of a diving accident. I'm excited to share his journey with you all on today's episode of how he became founder of the very successful Clark's Botanicals skincare line. Be sure to visit clarksbotanicals.com to receive 20% off any full-size products when using the code ART20. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the hour view podcast where we educate, raise awareness and change the tone of conversation. I am happy to have my guest on today's show, Francesco Clark. Uh, I am very happy to welcome you to the podcast. So uh, welcome. And thanks for uh, joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, Art, it's, it's an honor.
0: Yeah. So um, as I, I, told you in my email to you and uh just before we started recording i uh heard of your story because my mom saw you uh on uh, good morning america and she uh, recorded it on her phone and sent it to me and uh, i knew right away i had to reach out to you and um you know share your story with our uh with our listeners our subscribers on the podcast so i really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join me today
1: Oh, absolutely. and and you know, I think the way that your mother sent you that video is very much, I mean, it's such a loving thing to do, but it also speaks to how there's this web of support that we can all have for each other, even if we're not in the same place at the same time. So I've noticed that um, after I had my spinal cord injury, in fact, even the way that you and I started um, you know, in, in getting to meet right now, it started from an email. And so these different ways that we can communicate with each other and also be supportive um, within a community is fantastic. It
0: really it it really is. And that is um one of the things I've been grateful for. Um I would say you know, for my whole life and especially within the last year of being able to stay connected to people um that's uh you know to continue to grow my network and not just um keep it to where it was like to to expand the network through uh the pandemic and through sheltering in place and all of that that we've had to do so um you know and it's great technology uh, when it works, it really does have a great mm-hmm. way of. <laughs> Of uh, connecting people and, and bringing stories together,
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, um, can you start off by telling us who you are? Who is Francesco Clark?
1: <laughs> well, uh, God, that that's uh, who am I? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm just a person, and I. Um, I own a business. It's a skincare line called Clark's Botanicals. I came into um, starting my own business. I used to work in fashion. I used to work um, at Conde Nast, and then I went to work at Harper's Bazaar Magazine um, in their fashion department when I was um, 23. I started at 22, then 23, and I was there for a year. When I was there for a year, I was getting promoted, and the weekend that I was being promoted was Memorial Day weekend. Um, And um, I had, you know, just to celebrate the summer, I um, had rented a summer share house in Long Island. It was with friends of friends of friends. So complete strangers. and I got to the house. It was 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Kind of one of those days where you feel like nothing can go wrong. And at 24 years old, I mean, I'm not saying every 24-year-old um, it doesn't have, you know, life lessons learned. But I definitely did not. I definitely um, had a lot to learn by that point. But... The metal ring ladder that you normally see in the deep end was put in the shallow end. And so I dove into the pool thinking I was diving into the deep end. But as soon as I dove in, my chin hit the bottom of the pool and snapped back with such force that it shattered my C3, C4 vertebrae. Um, And in the blink of an eye, I went from... Feeling like I was young. You know, this is kind of that when you're in your 20s, you just feel like you're unstoppable. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Um, there's no end to anything. It's just the world is um, the world is just yours, um, which I think is a good thing to do. But all of a sudden, I went from this feeling of I just got promoted and showing my family and my friends, I could be an independent adult financially to suddenly um, my left lung was collapsing and I can feel the swelling inside of my spine and I couldn't feel or move anything. So all of a sudden, life felt very unfair. And it was, and I remember every single second of it because I'm looking up at the sky and it's such a perfect sky but this horrible thing had just happened where um, I wasn't sure if I could make it to the next day. And so there was this cognitive incongruence to the weather um, parallel to what was going on in my body. I was alone also when I dove in. So I was essentially face down, drowning Uh, my eyes were open I was completely awake and I could see the little bubbles floating up from my mouth but then I could hear my mother's voice saying do you realize how much work you're gonna have to do to get better so in that split second fight or flight really kicked in and for me luckily fight took over and even even in that circumstance that seems impossible for some reason my brain had i don't know why but went into a more optimistic way of thinking about how to deal with the situation and instead started thinking um you're gonna have to do a lot to get better instead of saying oh my god you can't get out of the pool you're gonna die so somebody saw me luckily walked into the house lifted my head above the water and I said, call 911, you just saved my life. Um, but they didn't believe me because I didn't have a scratch. I didn't have a bruise. There was not a drop of blood anywhere. So I looked the same as I did before, but suddenly I was paralyzed. And um, I was helicoptered over to the hospital at SUNY Stony Brook on Long Island. And the surgeon said I had less than a 19% chance of not only surviving that night and the surgery to stabilize my spine, but the next two years of my life. Um, And by this point, my left lung had collapsed and my vocal cord was becoming paralyzed. Um, My left vocal cord. Um, I was completely alone um, and the doctor just kept wanting me to get on the phone with my parents to kind of sign my life away. And I didn't want that to happen. So he came over once and I said, no, no, no. I don't want the phone call to happen. Then he went away. Then he came back and I said it again. And by the fourth time he said, okay, you will not survive unless we do this surgery. So I got on the phone with my parents. And, um, you know, I remember... When I spoke with my mother and my father, I told them. I said, you know, I feel like the biggest idiot in the world. I know how to go swimming. I know how to dive into a pool. What did I do? And um, I was really ashamed. And um, my mother said, you know, now that I can hear your voice, I know you're going to be okay, and we're going to take up. They were on vacation in Florida. We're going to take the next plane up to New York, and we'll be by your side. And when I woke up from surgery about 19 hours later, they were by my side, and the surgeon was speaking with them. And the surgeon was giving the same prognosis to my parents as he had given me, but he didn't realize that my father's a medical doctor. Um, and so when he said, you know, Francesco has less than a 19% chance of doing this, that, and the other, forget about speaking on your own. He can't never be able to talk or breathe and move his arms. Um, and my mother looks at me and she, in Italian, says, I just move something. So I twitch my shoulder and she looked back at him and she said, you don't know our son. And um, in that moment, I realized I was not alone. From the moment that I dove into the pool up until that moment, I was completely alone and I was just doing whatever I needed to do to survive, but then when my parents were by my side and my mother said that to the surgeon, I realized that I had such a strong network of love and support that of course I would get better, of course I would survive, of course I would lead a happy and fulfilling life because I had these incredible people that could advocate for me and stick up for me when I couldn't speak, literally couldn't speak. Um, and then my father also looked back at the surgeon and he said, you know, I'm a medical doctor and you can just tell patients, I don't know. You don't have to be so negative and dire because you could remove them from any sense of hope or joy. Um, and that was a big life lesson for me because I soon learned that um, the surgeon was wrong, thank God and i could start moving my shoulder a little bit and um i was on life support for about two weeks and when they had the conversation with my mother about removing um the breathing tube you know they said it, it probably is not going to work he probably is not going to be able to breathe in his own you, are you sure you want to take this risk and my mother said yes i think Francesco would want to take this risk. And so when they took the breathing tube out, thankfully, my diaphragm um, kicked in a little bit, um, and it started to work, but it was very weak, so my blood oxygen levels were very low. And I remember that um, the occupational therapist, the hospital, was very nice, but brought me the most boring, um, like, exercise to do every day. We had to blow into this, little cup and blow up this red ball into the air. And she wanted me to do it two hours every day. And no, I would not do that. So my sister and my best friend brought in speakers and I started singing ABBA karaoke in the ICU and I built back my lung capacity. (laughs) So from that point on, it was kind of like, how can I, um, how can I focus on the little, breaking down this sense of, okay, I need to do physical therapy every day, but how can I make it fun? And how can I use my sense of imagination and creativity to not lead a one dimensional kind of life? Because the first three years after my injury, I did become very depressed because I was dealing with trauma. And I felt like I had become such a worry um, to my family, And to my close friends, that I wanted to be the opposite of a worry, and to be the opposite of a worry for me, meant becoming invisible. And when I started to really act like that, I would shoot my head bald every week. I would wear the same T-shirt every day. I would wear the same hospital pants every day. My friends would want to come visit me, but I told them I was busy. I wasn't busy. I just um, I couldn't deal with. Um, acknowledging what had happened, um, because acknowledging what had happened meant kind of moving on and accepting that my life was different. And psychologically, I wasn't ready at the time to do that. And it wasn't until Christopher Reeve passed away that I realized Superman is gone. And he was such an advocate for not only people with disabilities, but people in general. I mean, he testified in Congress. He went to Australia and China and everywhere to really push research scientists to do more for the spinal cord injured community. But also, he had this unstoppable spirit um, that whether you're able-bodied or not, I mean, he just had that strength and that courage to push through and suddenly he was gone and that day that he left um I said to myself I have to take responsibility for what happened in my own life and I had been asked to be part of an advocacy group here in New York and the meeting was the next day and I said you know what I'm going to go to that meeting I'm going to leave the house for the first time in three years so I looked and 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 when i went to that when i was getting ready to go to that meeting i was like okay mom i have to put on a real shirt and she kind of was like thank god that you're going to start like doing something normal again so you know i i thought about i have to put on a real shirt i have to put on real pants i looked in the mirror for the first time in 3 years because if i ever looked at a reflection of myself all i would notice was wheelchair and not myself and so um in a way, Art, the way that you're describing your um, nephew's schoolmates that would kind of look at you in in an inquisitive way was very much what I did to myself. And I think that's the most dangerous thing because you are your worst critic. And when you become your worst critic, that becomes a very kind of negative cycle. So I don't know the realization of needing to step up to the plate um, and take responsibility on the day that Christopher Reeve passed away. It made me realize that I had gotten to the lowest low that I could get to. And that was not who I am. I am not like this person that can stay um, kind of, hidden from the world and i cannot stay um quiet and i'm not a passive person i need to be active and really take part in life to enjoy it and then it just made me completely shifted my perspective it was like a light switch went off and it was a very subtle kind of change but i started to think of instead of um life happened it it became it went from life happened to making life happen, and it was a very like one eighty kind of shift
0: yeah that is um that's so true i I remember being a teenager and uh I was born with my disability, and I remember being a teenager and at times feeling left out from what everybody else was doing. And, um, you know, the why me, why am I disabled? Why am I, uh, you know, using the wheelchair? Why do I have the crutches? Why me was a a big thing for me uh, quite often in uh, my teenage years. And I remember a woman uh, at my church, Miss Emmy, uh, she has since uh, passed away, but she, told me one time, she said, why not you? You know, and why, why can't it be you that makes a change and, uh, you know, starts uh, people seeing those who have disability in a a different way? You know, why, why can't you be used in that way to make, uh, to make a change for people with disabilities? And it was just like, oh, wait a minute, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that could be something, you know. And, and and then it was something I forgot about. And then all, all of a sudden, as an adult, I, you know, I, I told you about the experience I had with my nephew and his classmates. And then it was just like, okay, yeah, like that is what I'm going to do. I am going to start making a change for those in the disability community. So it really, um, you know, it, it's interesting how. You know, our, our paths, our lives are different, but, you know, we both experienced a moment of like a shift in the way that we saw ourselves and uh, viewed ourselves. Because as you mentioned, I think it's very, you know, very true that um, the self-talk that we say to ourselves and our minds is um, a, a big, it's a big deal. Because if, if it's a positive thing, it's great and it can really propel you forward to move Uh into your purpose. But then if it turns to be a negative thing, it can, you know, be very damaging at the same time. And um, something you said that I I really uh, loved, and I heard it in um, other interviews that I've, I've heard you speak in, is when your mom said to move something. And, Mm -hmm. and for you to say, like, you know, that's when you realized you weren't alone. And you had this network of people that, you know, started with your parents, but then also, you know, expand it to your other family members and friends, that is um, like, it gave me chills when you said that, because like, that is definitely how I always view my life. Like I, my name is Arthur. So I say it's my A team. And it's like, I don't do any of this by myself. <laughs> you know, I have a great team of people that, you know, help keep me together and, you know, pull me out of those moments where it's just um, where I'm feeling down and it's, it's, you know, things are getting to me. It's, uh, you know, my A team really uh, surrounds me and, and pulls me up and says, all right, like you had your moment. Like, let's now let's get to work. We got stuff to do. <laughs> so I, yes. I definitely relate to that
1: as well. <laughs> it's so important to, you know, it's not, it's not just what can others do for you also. You know, you have your A team. Mm-hmm. And it's not really only about, and I know that, I know that you've experienced this, but um i i it's easy to not you know vocalize it um but a lot of times um Arthur you are support for them too and i think there's a sense of having a purpose in your life um and when you start to say you're asking very difficult questions to yourself when you're saying, why me? Because who's gonna answer it? You are you are the one that has to answer that question. And um, it is a very difficult question to ask. And I think everybody asks themselves that question at some point in their lives, because even if you're not born with a disability or you don't have, a serious injury, aging in and of itself becomes disabling. And so you start to notice just with aging, um, even if you're the healthiest person, that you're you're not able to do the things that you were before. And you start to notice that when you have, you know, aging parents or, you know, things like that, where you just want them to be happy and like you do whatever you can to have a happy life. And so when you start to ask that question, why me, it starts to um, ask, really, I, I think of it in a different way now. Um, and I think of it as what is my purpose? And it really made you, from what I just heard, define your purpose as I can bring, why not me? And why I can bring this sense of purpose and inclusivity to other people i mean you were talking earlier about making playgrounds inclusive in new jersey that is amazing because when you think about all of the times when you were a little kid or a teenager and you're watching everybody else you know laugh and play and you feel like you're in the sidelines watching them do it as a spectator instead of being included in it now that you're being part of a solution of making inclusive playgrounds, you're actually making memories for other people that otherwise would have been left to the side. Now they're part of this memory that they're part of that laughter. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's remarkable. And I think it's, um, it's really touching because it's one of those things that, you know people will not even think about their disability um when they're young kids in that one little like moment in the day when they can have fun with their friends they're not going to think about like oh i wasn't able to have fun in the spring or the summer with my friends but now they can they have an opportunity to really partake in life in a much more meaningful way even as something as like simple as you know Going to a playground um, really can just increase your quality of life.
0: It's so true, and you know, not not being that old at thirty nine years old now, and um, you know, as you said, being part of the of a solution with uh, working the work that I do with Jake's Place, that you know, there will be you know soon there will be a generation of children that only know inclusive playgrounds. Like, that's a really cool feeling, um, you know, because I I was not able to get my wheelchair on a playground until we built one of these 10 years ago, <laughs> uh, you know, so being 30 years old and being in my wheelchair on a playground for the first time, I was able to walk with my crutches on a playground, but it's very difficult because they had mulch or gravel and, and things like that, but, um, you know, to know that, as you said, being a part of a solution where there will be a generation of children that will only know these types of playgrounds is, um, you know, it's really great to, and, uh, to know that they, they weren't in existence, you know, 30 years ago when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> so it won't be an issue anymore and it won't be a big deal to see these, um, uh, you know, in every neighborhood around the country and around the world. So it's, it's really, it is, it's very, a very good feeling, um, to, to know that, that, uh, know the work that we're doing with uh the jake's place organization is really making making a difference starting here in new jersey and uh california they have um shane's inspiration that uh is really big with building the inclusive playgrounds there in in california and a couple other states have uh, some organizations that are working towards it as well so it's really um it's just really great to know that, uh, these changes are being made and, uh, being seen as a positive, as a positive thing in the world.
1: They are. Um, and they require a lot of work to get that done. So, you know, I think it should be acknowledged all the hard work that you've been putting into it. It doesn't just happen on Mm -hmm. its own. There are a lot of people that, um, are working very hard to make these changes, and there's a lot of. If you're looking at it at a state level, there's a lot of legislation that goes into play with local communities and you know state government at times. But you know, it's, it's um, it doesn't just happen. So there's a lot of great work behind making these things happen, and I think that it's wonderful for for you to be acknowledged for that.
0: Well, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, So I would like to um, get into your company, Clark's Botanicals. I heard you mention um, in a a previous interview that because of your um, paralysis that you are unable to sweat. So, yeah. So can you can you explain that part of it first? And then um, and then uh, can you talk tell us about Clark's Botanicals and how that company came to be?
1: Absolutely. So um, my injury is is very high up. It's um, a C4 level. And I was, uh, it was classified as complete. um, And I didn't have any feeling or movement below my um, C4 level injury. Um, Later, that turned out to not be true. um, And I experienced some exonal regeneration, um, in my spine or maybe some, some axons were still in fact, but intact, but maybe were partially demyelinated and remyelinated. Um, I don't know exactly, but I started to regain some movement, um, and a little bit of feeling. Um, so one of the side effects of my injury is that not only could I not move or feel 99% of my body, but my skin stopped reacting to temperature and it does not react to temperature to this day. So it can be 110 degrees outside and I will just be dry. I just, my skin will not sweat. The only time that my skin will sweat is if I'm in a lot of pain and it won't be like, I will not be sweating everywhere, but in specific parts, um, like my left shoulder, my right shoulder, it's it's a little strange, but um, because of that, my skin lost its ability to detoxify itself and and uh, rebalance itself. And the day that I was getting ready for that meeting um, to join that advocacy group in New York, I looked in the mirror and I had been doing physical therapy seven hours a day for three years because, you know, again, I had been dealing with depression and not really knowing what to do with my life. And so that was the only thing that I really knew how to do or what I should be doing with my time and trying to deal with the trauma. But what what I saw in the mirror was not what I felt on the inside. I felt strong by this point. I felt confident. I felt happy. I didn't look strong. I didn't look happy. I didn't look confident. And that was because my skin, it was like a perfect storm of anything and everything that could go wrong with your skin went wrong with my skin. It was gray, it was dry and oily, red and flaky. It looked 10 years older than I was. And I wanted to not, not feel nervous or ashamed of going, you know, to New York City and going outside and you know, going to restaurants and seeing friends or meeting new people. I wanted to um, experience other people's stories as well. Um, And that meant interacting with other people. And so, um, you know, one of the first signs of depression is when you don't care about your appearance because you almost, when you don't care about your appearance, it's almost like you're telling other people, don't talk to me. But um, along that, along those lines, when you actually do start to care about your appearance, it's one of those first signs that you're getting out of that, that depressive state, and you're starting to feel um, better, and you're getting that independence and that sense of self. And so, I had tried three hundred dollar creams, prescription three dollar whatever. I tried it all. Nothing worked. It made my skin worse instead of better. My skin just was so overly reactive to all of the harsh ingredients that every other brand was using that I turned to my father and he's a medical doctor and a homeopath. And I said, you have to help me because I want to look like myself again. Um, And I want, you have to help me do something to fix my skin. And so it took us five years and 78 different versions until we found what is today our Jasmine Catalyst Complex, which is proprietary to Clark's Botanicals because it uses a time-release niacinamide, a red algae, um, an arnica montana that's time-released, and jasmine extracts. And we use this proprietary mixture in a very specific Um, proportion because it's immunostimulating to the skin in the sense that you're getting this deep hydration from the red algae. You're getting a very calming effect from the arnica. The niacinamide is helping to um, even out skin tone and also kind of give you a smoother complexion while the jasmine enzymes really work at boosting collagen production but calming and moisturizing the skin at the same time. So it became this little thing I never I never made it to sell it. I was just doing it as a psychological and emotional exercise for me to feel like a whole person again and for me to have some self respect so we made these little ugly glass vials um and I kept them on my desk in my room and you know, I had twelve vials on my desk, and then suddenly I noticed that I only had eight vials on my desk and <laughs> my mother kind of like walked in my room and walked out and I looked at her like I know exactly what happened and she looked at me and she said well I mean if I know that it's working on you um it's gonna work on me because you have very reactive um delicate skin so my mom started using it um stealing it and using it and then she started giving it away to my dad's patients because a lot of them were undergoing or, or, or are still do um chemotherapy and they have a lot of sensitivities to um ingredients so she started giving it to them when they noticed that her skin looked better and giving it away and it was like this pyramid scheme of kleptomaniacs just like stealing it and giving it away and we were just making it but you know it wasn't anything that i thought of um what's my return on investment there was the investment was me being happy the investment was uh, me having a purpose um in life but never thinking that these could be creams that I would sell um it was more of a tool for me to regain a sense of purpose and a sense of pride um and want to do more so my former boss that she was the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar she called me in to meet with her and when I was in the meeting um she said to me you look the same as before you just You're sitting, but you look like you're always about to stand kind of thing. She said, because, you know, you still have, you have even more energy than you did before. And so um, my sister was with me and my sister, I couldn't afford an aid um, at the time. So my sister drove me and she said, he's not just sitting around doing nothing. And she took out one of the glass vials that she stole from my desk and she gave it to Glenda, the editor in chief. And then Glenda said, well, if you're using it, I'm going to use it. I was really embarrassed because this was not like, this was not a business meeting. This was just a catch up. So then I come home and three weeks later, we get a phone call from the editor-in-chief's assistant. And they said, we want to shoot it um, in the magazine for the September issue. And I said, well, thanks, but no thanks. And she said, before you hang up, I'm going to put you on the phone with the beauty director. I get on the phone with her and she said, listen, whether you like it or not, we're including it. In the magazine um you have six months to find a factory put it in nice jars make it look chic um but it's happening and then i was kind of like all right i guess it's a thing now and it's very much a parallel experience to when my parents were by my side in the icu when i woke up where You realize that you have such an incredible loving support um, from other people that they believe in you in such a strong way that of course you're going to succeed, that of course this is going to work, of course it's going to be a success. And Glenda, the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar, she didn't have to do any of this, Um, but she did. And then when she did, it was kind of like, well, I don't know, she must see something um, that, that I wasn't seeing at the time, but if she sees it and my parents also gave me that similar kind of feeling, then maybe there's something to this. And so then it gave me that confidence to start to ask why not? And so then, you know, a lot of sleepless nights later, we had a design in jars and um, started to meet with factories about, we already had the formulations um, nailed down, but we needed people to actually, you know, mix them at a larger scale for us. But I never had any investment money. I only had um, a small grant from New York State for people with disabilities that wanted to become more independent, but I think it was like, $5,000, you know, to start the business. And so, I mean, if you called customer service or marketing or returns or, or like the warehouse, that was me. (laughs) Because I remember the first time that, um, oh my God, Arthur, it was so funny because the first time that we filled jars, um, I had an 18 wheeler and they pulled into my parents' driveway and an 18-wheeler that was full. The entire thing was full. Like, you know, when you see an Amazon truck on the highway, those huge ones, Uh it was like that. But the entire thing I said, like, sure, I'm sure we could do it from my parents' basement. And like, I'll I'll learn what it means to um, have web sales and how shipping works um, and operations and production if I do it that way. I mean, I certainly did learn that. But it took up the entire basement um, of my parents' house, and if I was mortified when they unpacked everything. The entire driveway, and the garage, and the entire basement were full of boxes, and I didn't know where. I didn't even know where to start because then I had to start thinking about like inventory and things like that. So that's how that's how we started, and and as we launched, I said that's fantastic, but that's not good enough. You know, now we have a product in a jar—a big deal. Um, I wanted that there was a missing link of my former life in fashion, my spinal cord injury, and my new life in the beauty industry. And so, I kept thinking about um, what could what could I do that's more? Um, how could this be more meaningful? And so then I thought about the day that it changed—the day that. Christopher Reeve passed away. And so I called the Christopher Reeve Foundation and um, then I emailed Peter Wilderotter, their CEO, and he emailed me back and then we met in person. Um, then I met with all of their directors and they asked for me to become one of their national ambassadors. Um, and then I said, that's fantastic, but that's not the only thing that I want to do. Um, and so... I committed a percentage of proceeds to give back to the Reed Foundation to get to help to give funding not only for the cure for spinal cord injury, but also the care um, for people that currently have spinal cord injuries. Um, and, you know, then from that point it became like a domino effect. Now um, I'm very lucky to be on the board of the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics, where we talk about. Um, a lot of different innovations in in medicine and um, cures for so many different diseases. Um, And also on the board of the New York Stem Cell Foundation where we talk about how do we speed up um, innovations to get to cures Um, for, again, a lot of different um, diseases. And so, you know, who would have thought that the seemingly frivolous industry like beauty um, could actually give you so much more depth, um, and it's been an eye-opening experience for me, and I'm I'm so grateful for it.
0: That is such an amazing story, and mm-hmm. you know, it goes again back to what you said about the network of people and how the, you know, you just had that that meeting to catch up with the <laughs> the editor in chief of of your you know your. Uh, the magazine and it's just like oh my gosh like that's just that's really crazy how that happened and uh you know how that kicked everything off and um you know and and then the the original story of you know you just not being satisfied with how your skin was looking and you know you wanting to make a change for yourself and and just for yourself but then you know your family started started using it as well so that's (laughs) that's really great yeah nobody uh nobody promotes you like your family and friends right (laughs) oh
1: yeah yeah (laughs) the the biggest cheerleaders that you could have
0: yeah yeah when they believe in you it's like you know like you said you know you can make it like because you have that great that great support so that's uh that's really great can you tell everybody where they can um find your products and how they can uh purchase
1: sure um so we are direct to consumer it's just at clarks, with an S, botanicals, with an S, dot com. Great. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, I, I am truly enjoying this conversation, and I'm, again, I'll say it, I'm so glad that we have connected and um, you know, really ap- appreciate your time uh, today. So um, to wrap up the conversation, I always like to end uh, the podcast with some form of this question And that is, what is something you would like to tell the world about people who have disabilities?
1: I think uh, when you, when you, when you might be looking at somebody who has a visible disability, your brain might jump to, oh, they can't do as much as I can. But maybe the way that you should look at it is, um, I wonder how much more they appreciate life. And I wonder how much more, um, they can make me appreciate my own life. And instead of, um, kind of averting your eyes, maybe, maybe just saying hello, um, and including them as you would another person. Uh, Something as simple as that, you know, just smiling, um, and saying hello to somebody instead of um, being afraid to do that um, because it takes a lot of courage um, and a lot more preparation for that person to get ready um, for the day and go out and do those things that you might be able to do much more easily um, when you're able-bodied. So. know there's a lot of there's a lot of courage in that person that you see um and you never know um how much it means to the other person when you just act with gratitude and a little bit of kindness can really change their day
0: that is so true and perfect i um that that was so well said (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, you know, like you said, instead of of averting your eyes, you know, make eye contact and just say hi. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I always, um, a story from a few years ago, I was in a store and I was at the checkout line at the grocery store. And it's a little boy, he was standing next to the cart with his mom and she was putting the food on the uh, conveyor belt. And he's just looking at me. And she said, Johnny, if you're going to stare at the man, at least say hi. Well, by the mm. time the mom got done checking out, Johnny and I were having such a great conversation. She had to wrap us up. So <laughs> she said, okay, yeah. well. she's like, OK, well, we have to go now, now that you made a new friend. <laughs> you know, we, sorry to break this up. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we got to talking about uh, I think it was like wrestling or something like that. And, um, you know, so it, it's just a, a simple hello will will really go a very long way. Yeah. Um, and and you might you know again you you might just uh find you always find that you have more in common than you have uh, differences with people is is what I have found, and I totally um, and, agree yeah, I totally agree, yeah, yeah. and also yeah.
1: you know there there's this and and you might have noticed this too, but there are I can think of more than a dozen times where people will assume they almost you can be standing next to somebody. With a third person and they won't even include you in the conversation sometimes like you will be not regarded as able to be part of a conversation um or and it gives it gives this like perception of um lowered competence because you might be um physically disabled or you know different in some sort of way and i think um that is absolutely the wrong way of um, living life, because understanding these kind of wider perspective of life um, brings into play what it means to have a more meaningful life. So actually, including as many different perspectives um, that have that have this like life experience to them, makes life so much more meaningful for everybody. Um, And so respecting each other, really.
0: That's so true. I've had that happen for sure, where people have walked by me to ask someone else or to to, to say to someone else, hi, I'm looking for Art Aston.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) They've walked by me to ask someone else, oh, hi, I'm here, I'm looking for Art Aston. And they're like, yeah, 10 feet, 10, ten feet back yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, oh, no, are you? <laughs> and it's, a lot of my work that I do, um, uh, is, uh, through email and phone calls. So people don't know what I look like. Uh, you know, unless if it comes up in a conversation, I typically <laughs> don't say that I have a disability or, you know, that I'm a wheelchair user or that I use crutches. Um, You know, so so people have no idea of knowing that information if I don't uh, say it in in an email or through a phone conversation. But yeah, I definitely have had people walk by me to ask someone else for me. (laughs) So yeah, uh, yeah, that's definitely, um, you know, something that I hope people uh, become aware of and are, um, you know, just more aware of that and just acknowledge us as people with disabilities and um if it's a case where this person is unable to respond you know then that's you know that's a different story but um you know in most cases there will be uh the ability to acknowledge you in some way and and just uh you know just make the eye contact and say hello just acknowledge that uh people with disabilities exist and and that's uh that's a great start <laughs> absolutely yeah. yes so Francesco, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate uh, this conversation, and um, you know I, I look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and, and uh, connecting with you in person one of these days. Uh, New York is one of my favorite places to go, and I'm looking forward to getting back there soon. <laughs>
1: and we're, yeah. happy to, um, we're happy to we're ex- happy to extend a discount to all of your listeners. Um, with the discount code ART20. So you can get 20% off of, off of everything on ClarksBotanicals.com.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. That is fantastic.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. But uh, again, thank you for your time. And I, I appreciate uh, this conversation and your story. And, uh, you know, just very excited for the things that you're doing. And um, I, I appreciate your your time today.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
0: This concludes this episode of the Our View podcast. We thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our YouTube channel. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more disability related content at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four L-I-F-E. Thanks for listening.